Hello, and welcome to the Christ Table Podcast, a Bible study for those who struggle with digging into the Bible, but who want to develop a richer faith, one with some meat on its bones. I'm Kevin Young, a media guy turned minister who's passionate about helping others thrive, especially spiritually. If you're unaware, Christ Table is a movement of people returning the church to her roots, in homes, around tables, over food with old friends and fresh conversations. Check us out over at www.christtable.today. In the meantime, today's study continues the topic of unity as we make our journey through the book of Ephesians. We'll be in chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. Let's dig in. As we come to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, what we see now is that Paul is way deep in the rabbit hole on the topic of unity. Where Paul has began on the topic of unity is globally talking about unity in relation to the church. If we can't have unity and togetherness with our brothers and sisters in the church, in the body of Jesus Christ, how can we ever hope to have unity anywhere else? In fact, in yesterday's Bible study, Paul said that unity is not something that you build. Unity is not something that you work towards. Unity is something that God gives to you, to the church, simply for being a part of the body of Christ. And so you don't have to work towards unity. What you actually have to work towards is the opposite of unity, which is disunity. And so if there is disunity in the church or in the body of Christ, it's not from God, and it's because individuals are actively working to be disunited with the body of Christ. Because unity, it kind of comes with the operating system. It's automatically there. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul is going to continue that idea of unity in the body of Christ and unpacking it and what that looks like, not just for the church, but specifically what that looks like for you and for me. Verse 7, however, he, meaning God, has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Paul now here quotes from earlier in the Bible, essentially saying that God has said that because of the work of Jesus Christ, when he ascended, now we have the ability, each and every one of us, to receive a spiritual gift. Now, there are several places in the Bible where Paul unpacks what those spiritual gifts are. And here in just a moment, he's going to unpack a few of them here for us, and we're going to talk through those. But here in the beginning, Paul says, every single person who is a follower of Jesus Christ has received some sort of gift. This is foundational to the Christian faith, and this is something that is freely given to you and I. Verse 9. Notice, Paul says, that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. So Paul here is saying, theologically, we can trust that this person who is here is not just a God up in heaven who gave gifts, but he is also one who came down here to experience this lowly world alongside us. I think what Paul is saying here is Jesus understands. 
Jesus knows. You know, oftentimes we receive gifts at birthdays and Christmas time where where we look at these gifts and we say, does this person have any idea who I am, what I like? Do they know anything about me? What What is this gift? And so what do we end up doing? We end up oftentimes pretending that we like it or that we're going to use it. And then maybe we return it, maybe we re-gift it. But what it shows is that the person, there was no connection. They didn't really know us when they gave us a gift. What Paul is saying here is Jesus knows you. Jesus knows what it's like to live in this lowly world. It's not as though God is sitting up in heaven on his throne and saying, yes, yes, I'm going to give them this gift and this gift and this gift. But he's so disconnected from the world that those gifts are going to be of no use to us. No, Jesus came to this earth. He understands what it means to be tempted. He understands what it means to suffer. He understands what it means to be fully human. And so whenever gifts are given to us, these are going to be gifts that are going to be radically practical, radically able to use themselves, to apply themselves into your current predicament. Verse 10, and the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all of the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. There's no place you can go where Jesus is not already there. Now, these are the gifts, verse 11 says, that Christ gave to the church. And I want you to pay close attention to these. Now, this is one list of several, but this is an important list that Paul outlines here. These are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Paul here is saying that there are individuals in the body of Christ who are specifically granted gifts for, and I hesitate to use this word, leadership, because when I use the word leadership, what often happens here in U.S. America is we impress upon that word a lot of business, CEO, American capitalism types of, of mindsets. But that's really not the idea of biblical leadership. The idea of biblical leadership is uh, is is servanthood. Is is really followership. Leadership in the Bible is followership, which boom, you know blow your mind, right? But God has gifted specific people to do extremely important things, as for lack of a better way of putting it, middle management people who are kind of navigating that space between Jesus and between where we are and who we are here, helping us, helping us find Jesus, helping us understand Jesus, helping interpret Jesus. And, and these, these are some of those gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. What, what are those gifts? Well, why don't we start with the first one, apostles. Apostles are generally those people who are given a gift that allows them to be um, pioneers in the church, people who are pioneers in church growth, who are pioneers in, I don't really like the word church growth area either, so maybe uh, maybe instead of that I'd say pioneers in, in new areas of opportunity, new areas of ministry for the church. It, it seems as though 
every generation calls for ministry in a new area or in a new way, using old tools and old messages in order to communicate them in new places and in new ways. The, the apostles are, are groundbreakers. The apostles are pioneers. The apostles are entrepreneurs of the faith going into new places and doing new things in new ways. But there are also prophets. Now, oftentimes when I hear the word prophet, I think uh, someone who's kind of a, a crystal ball, a fortune teller, tells the future. But really generally, whenever we see the word prophet in the Bible, what we're hearing is not so much a future teller, which sometimes that is a part of the office of prophet, large P, but lowercase p, prophet, is someone who essentially ends up being the mouthpiece of God, the voice of God. Someone who, and, and here's kind of the working definition that Paul has here for this word, is someone who speaks God's words in a direct and challenging way. Someone who cuts straight with you. Someone who's willing to kind of look you in the eye and, and get directly in your face and say, this is what God says. Someone who's going to be truthful with you, who's not going to hold something back. Uh, if you're if you're an, Ene an Enneagram person, um, it's probably the eight on the Enneagram. Someone who is very direct. Someone who speaks with uh, great authority and confidence. Someone who's willing to, to just cut it straight with you. That's a prophet. There are people in the church who are given that gift. It's not a curse. Well, sometimes it might feel like a curse, but it's a gift. Evangelists. Uh, that may be the word that we understand and, and know the best. People who have the gift of sharing the gospel. Gospel is a word that means good news. People who are gifted with the ability to clearly share the good news of Jesus Christ in a way that people are able to understand. It's an evangelist. Sometimes we we think of people who who come in for a week-long series of church services in the evenings who's going to yell a lot, preach really long sermons, and, and make people feel shame and guilt as being an evangelist. But that's not really what Paul is talking about here. Paul is simply talking here about people who are given the gift of being able to just simply and clearly communicate the good news of Jesus Christ and what it means to be a follower of his. Some of some of the greatest evangelists that I have known over the years have never worked in a church, have never preached behind the pulpit, who have never given an altar call, but they are able on, on Facebook and personal conversations and, and letters to other people across tables, uh, with coffee are able to clearly communicate to people who don't fully understand God what it means to be a follower of God, to be on the way of Jesus Christ. And then finally, and I said maybe evangelist is the one that's most well known, but maybe it's this one. Pastors and teachers, people who are are uniquely gifted to care for local con congregations, maybe those people have the title of pastor. Maybe 
That is their professional career. But there are, again, many people who have this gift who never get paid by a local church, who are never a senior pastor, many women, many men who are pastors and teachers and gifted as such, and who shepherd, who lead, who care for people in the body of Christ locally in their own communities. And they're given this gift. And I guess I should say that Paul does not say that any of these gifts are walled off for only a certain gender. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. Paul doesn't say only men. So whoever you are, however you are, wherever you are, whatever you are, you may have one of these gifts. Paul also doesn't say that these gifts are required to be someone who is a professional, full-time person. Uh, when Paul wrote this, it's highly unlikely that there were anybody, but if so, a very few number of people who were full-time working for the church. The people who God is giving these gifts to are people just like you. People like me, obviously, who are full-time working, who have given themselves professionally in a career to, to working in ministry, receive these gifts, but not just us, but everyone. Their responsibility, verse 12, Paul says, is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. If you've been given one of these gifts and you're not using it, well, if I can just say it, if I can work through my eight wing here on the Enneagram, you're failing in your responsibility. Your responsibility, Paul says, if one of these are your giftings, isn't necessary to go full-time serving for a church, but it is to use your gift to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. And if you are using your gift to do that in some way, good for you. And if you're not using it, full-time in a church, but you're still using it, you are fulfilling this call. You are not less than. God gives various spiritual gifts so that we will contribute to the work of the church. It's not for our own personal use, abuse, and enjoyment. God gives these spiritual gifts specifically so that we will help the church, which is a part of the unity of the body of Christ. I have different gifts than you have. My gifts are not more important than your gifts. No matter what my gifts are, no matter what your gifts are, and your gifts are not more important than my gifts, all of our gifts are important to the body of Christ. And unless we are all using them, then we're perhaps serving to bring that disunity because part of the unity of the body of Christ relies on all of us taking responsibility to use our spiritual gifts, whatever they may be, so that the church will receive that contribution of talent, of skill, of God's presence, and of God's gifts. Verse 13, and this will continue, God will continue to give those gifts, and you will continue, and I will be, I will continue to be expected to use those gifts until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Jesus Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching, Paul says. 
When we use our gifts, it helps bring us security in our belief systems and in our practice of faith. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Um, you know, there is uh, this now thing where oftentimes others try to trick us. And the believing things are true that aren't true. And Paul says the antidote to that, the protection against that, is relying on others in the body of Christ with gifts that we don't have. So that instead, verse 15, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Now, I want to show you this. This is the puzzle sold by Ravensburger that holds the world's record in Guinness for the world's largest puzzle. At 40,320 pieces, this memorable Disney moments puzzle is the biggest puzzle in the world. Now, that's amazing, 40,000 pieces. When put together, it measures nearly 140 square feet. It is six feet tall and 22 feet wide. The box itself is about 44 pounds. 44 pounds, that is heavy. And the estimated or average time it takes to complete this puzzle is about 600 hours. A huge but beautiful puzzle. And all of those pieces, 40,000 pieces, working together to create one thing, a beautiful image of the most magnificent Disney moments. This is not unlike how Paul closes this section of Ephesians in verse 16 when he says about Jesus that he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. The way in which God has designed you is a puzzle piece that is a integral and necessary part of the bigger picture. As each part, or you could say as each puzzle piece, meaning you and me and everybody else, does its own special work in its own special place in the big picture, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. When you and I live out of our gifts, it is a gift to the body of Christ that makes the body of Christ more loving, more healthy, and better all around. We need you. Use your gifts. This Bible study from the book of Ephesians is brought to you by Christ's Table. If you'd like to join in the study, there's an easy-to-follow guide in the show notes. We'd love to have you join us. You know, 65 million adults in the United States have dropped out of church, and that number will grow by 2.7 million before the end of this year. We here at Christ's Table are committed to doing something about that. We're committed to creating a world where the table is once again the center of the home, the center of family life, and especially the center of faith formation again. What's our mission? That's simple to help people eat freely and drink deeply of life and of faith. Find out more about us by going to www.christtable.today. And when you get over to christtable.today, be sure to sign up for our email list 
And for those who choose to donate, I've got a resource box that I want to send you in the mail as my thanks. Trust me, you're going to like it. By the way, the podcast is available because of the generous donations of our listeners and the incredible community of people who call Christ's Table their spiritual home. Join us on our next episode as we continue our step-by-step study through the book of Ephesians. And if you'd like to watch these Bible studies live, there's more information on our website about that as well over at www.christtable.today. Thanks so much for listening. We wouldn't be here without you. Until next time, I'm Pastor Kevin Young, and this is the Christ Table Podcast.